Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Powell and VPN and basic stuff and zero trust and, and try to demystify zero trust. Yeah. I, I think there's an interesting angle on, on it could make things worse if you do it wrong. Right. <laughs> yes. Really, like really a lot worse. I think I've seen a lot of. And it's about, it's about a change of mindset as much as it is about technology. And if you don't change your mindset, you're just putting in zero trust technology into an old way of working and express. That's, yeah, that, that's another thing I was thinking is if we're constantly forcing people to think differently about problems, are, are we going to be successful in solving them? If we don't think differently about the problems, we're not going to solve them because we haven't thought differently for 20 years and look where we are. Yeah. I, I, I would even argue zero trust is not thinking differently, right? I mean, if you look at the concepts like, you know, least privilege, and, you know, these things have been around since the 70s. Well, I guess if we're, if we're confusing people with marketing yeah, yeah. Right. that's the I think, I think that's, 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 that's a bigger that's problem. That's a yeah. bigger problem. Buzzword. But the problem is this privilege is like, how do you interpret that? <laughs> right. Same with zero trust, right? Like, this, <laughs> it, I, what does that mean? So it, it's, uh... The problem is giving the freedom to people. Some people can take the freedom and apply a concept to a very innovative way. And some others say, can you please give me a solution with a label so I can sell it? <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my, my feeling on zero trust is only the cis the, uh, deal in absolutes, right? The, the Jedi, I think, about shades of gray. So it's uh... right. All right. All right. Let's, let's kick in and have some fun. Here we are. We're together. Thank God for social media bringing us to, to uh, talk about something that clearly we're all passionate about for, for one reason or another. And uh, many of my friends here uh, joining. We have Francesco, Zulfikar, and Sean John uh, joining us in a second once he finishes feeding the, the beasts, uh, Chris Roberts. So thanks, everybody, for, uh, for joining this. Uh, I'll call it a redefining security. I think we're going to take some mystery out of some technology and some jargon and figure out what it really means to operationalize security. So this fits squarely in that, in that channel. Thanks, everybody, for, for joining. Thank you, Sean. Great, thanks. Hey, thank you, Sean. So the, the, the topic that surfaced was zero trust. The first question that comes to mind is what, what is that? <laughs> is, that a, is that a term defined by analysts? Is it a term defined by vendors? Is it a, a term that uh, CISOs came up with? Uh, I think Ghana redefines to... <laughs> zero trust. J- just Gaia or something. They just came up with a new fancy name to just redefine because zero trust was being way to overuse or was already old <laughs> i think that's the problem the answer is all of the above defined it but they didn't necessarily define it in the same way 
I'm not yeah, or, or maybe you can say that, you know, analysts kind of redefined a known concept they and, and vendors misinterpreted and, and reinterpreted it <laughs> and, and that customers are now trying to, you know, figure out how to, how to make sense out of and it. It's, it's a bit of a royal mess. Yeah, I guess for me, that's kind of the, the, the kicking off point. Um, kind of the, the biggest question is, are we, are we helping ourselves? Are we helping security professionals by labeling things and marketing some of these things? I'll say confusing and adding mystery and abstraction layers to the solutions uh, to the problems we have. So I guess that's the, the first question I have is, are we, are we doing me, ourselves any good here? Maybe because like, so, some people like categories. So having names next to concept is much easier to sell to a board saying you heard it over and over and over. It's going to be really easy to sell that concept. Some people can actually strip the concept, strip a name to the bore of the concept, to the bare bone of the concept, and then apply it in a different way. Like zero trust. What the heck is zero trust? It's just not trusting any device, not trusting any network, and just having point-to-point connection and authentication and identity. And that's it, fundamentally. And that has been a concept as old as probably Cisco with Mars and the firewalls and dot one x for the old network geeks. And it's it's very old concept and it always caused an enormous amount of headache to any networkers that misconfigure dot one x for and maybe somebody in the group want to chip in on the misconfiguration. <laughs> so, I, I'd say even older, you know, if you look ac- academically, Project Mac out of MIT, right, going back to the 70s, yes. you know, Jerry Saltzer, you know, least privilege. Um, you know, these, these core ideas have been around, but I think to your point, you know, as, as, as technology evolves, you know, I, I, I think the idea of, of zero is, is the thing that bugs me the most in, in zero trust, right? Because yeah. it's not like you can possibly, you know, verify everything or, or, or know what's going on across all these complex devices. But that's why I saw jump in and say, although I, I can talk for ages about the, the evolution of NAC and the 802.1x approach, the thing I think that quite often gets missed about zero trust is that zero word and not because it's zero, it's the fact that there is no implied trust. So even with 802.1x, there's some implied trust. So you, know, you, you might say, I've got a certificate to authenticate you. And yes, in the NAC days, uh, I would run some script to check if you were in a good state before I let you on. Um, and all the pain that comes with that when I can't fix you and you get isolated and it's always the chief executive who then can't get on the network in the morning. Um, but actually, there was always an implied trust in the identity and an implied trust that that once I've checked, it was really just to check the device. And I think that's the concept that people miss with zero trust is it's not just about the networking and the access, which is, you know, where, you know, in the blaster days when NAC was big, that's when I remember those days post blaster of let's not let anyone on the network to kill our network. It's actually almost, there is no implied trust even in the network. So even, so where you see people saying, I'm going to do near zero trust and micro segmentation, they're still effectively trusting the network. And the whole idea is you shouldn't, you should, just because you're coming from a particular location, it's that whole idea of, yes, there is some trust, but you have to earn that trust every time. And you might then get a period of time when you keep it for a session or a connection, so you don't have to consistently be checking because that'd be a pain. But just because I connected now, if I go away and come back in an hour, there's no assumption that I've still got that same trust because I'm on the same network or even the same MAC address because I might have downloaded something dodgy. My password might have been exposed. I might, and I, I think that's that's the concept of zero trust. Forget about the 
the actually how you do it and then and then if you take that concept then you can go to different vendors different approaches different policies and the concept is you have to earn trust every time you want to access a resource and so that's where the zero the i suppose it's zero carried over trust is really the and I think that's what gets missed. And then people make it about NAC and make it about authenticating the network. And I know you're on the network, so I trust you. And that's definitely not where it should be. So, yeah, I should clarify. When, when I said Project NAC, I, I wasn't referring to like, I was referring to like an older project in the 60s at MIT now, maybe late 60s, early 70s, uh, that was one of the first projects around how you could think about computer networking and really creating point-to-point Security, so like Kerberos uh, was kind of born out of, of some of the early work there, but that was that was the con, not not the sort yeah, of yeah, no, other versions of yeah, Mac. Yeah, I yeah, so when I was talking about Macs, I wasn't talking about Project Mac. I was just talking yeah, yeah, about so that's why I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too many acronyms. So just yeah, even exactly. a Kerberos ticket is sort of like they can get stolen, as as has happened on Azure on, on, on Active Directory. Yeah, golden ticket is like. <laughs> it's been an interesting word there. Earn earn trust. Is that does that play into this at all? Yeah, the zero, and then you turn the dial, and you earn some, and then you lose some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, maybe oh, we could, I think the we could talk a bit about profiling, because yeah. even if you earn trust, as 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 you were just rightfully saying, even if you earn trust, then your posture might change, your identity might change, your behavior might change, so you become malicious, intentionally and non-intentionally, from a moment to another. So it is I think. Zero trust is old right now as let's take it a step further and saying profiling the behavior of user. That's the new cool thing, if you want, or the new intelligent thing to do, because we, we can potentially right now connect from anywhere with any device. So really is it doesn't matter anymore, the posture of the device. It matters a little bit because it could be completely compromised. But really, when a device is compromised, your behavior will spike or will will diverge from the norm, right? Mm, what do you no, guys think? I wouldn't say that because the thing is, if I compromise your device, I might just sit in passive mode. I might use mm. you as nothing more than my learning mode. So all I'm doing is I'm now harvesting anything that you're doing. So nothing's going to change apart mm. from your device is now basically my listening post. Yeah, potentially. But you will start uh, potentially. Yeah, you might be acting just passively forever, but it could be just you sit there and at a certain point you behave in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely that. So to me, I mean, I, if I'm, I don't trust at that point, I have to validate and it's that continual mm-hmm. validation model. And I think that's maybe part of it. We, you know, when we talk about zero to you, I think to the, to the earlier point, we talk about zero trust, you know, everybody does. And, you know, I'll, I've fallen into the trap because I get fed up with it. Everybody's like, oh, we'll put zero trust in the network. I'm like, no, you won't. You know, there's no way you can do it in a big corporate environment. It's, it's the hell. It's what complicated. You can do is, Oh my God, it's, it's horrendous if you're going to go that route. It's like NAC. To me, NAC is useless. It doesn't stop or slow anything down, really. Um, and it's super complicated to introduce. I, I remember yeah. the first project with Mars and Cisco Mars, not just just oh, a drone age. But yeah, 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 yeah. Gods, it was, it was beautiful because you could set any single things on Earth, but then in practice, you put it in a network, dot one a start flagging and uh, your switcher starts flashing like a yeah. Christmas tree. Yeah, it reminds learning. me the good day, the good I'm old days of spanning tree misconfiguration. I, yeah. I, I go back before Cisco Mars, I'm afraid it was Sygate NAC, semantic NAC. Yeah, so oh, yeah, I, I, was, I was the EMEA semantic NAC expert at, uh, at one point. And it, you know, it worked, it's just a problem that every time everyone updated the 802.1x protocol, it broke everything. The actual <laughs> product worked, there's the networking issue it was like literally Cisco. Oh, I've updated the protocol. It doesn't work anymore. And and, uh, uh, and 
you know, the whole let's do full health checks, you know, the product works. The problem is the impact that has on the business is no, it's the product works. The yeah. It's users and it, it's businesses. The product's great in the lab and it's marvelous in any kind of a, you know, MIT or any kind of university. The theoretical stuff is great. It's when you actually put it into the real world. Product is great. Real world sucks. I mean, let's face it. That's almost everything yeah, that we've deployed. That, that's, that's why I'm not a real keep, fan yeah. of zero trust being networking. It's got to be about access to the resource because that's when you can make it real. You can do specific and you're not, you're not necessarily going to go to the full level of some of the hype says, but you can do specific, you know, you want to access this resource. What's your risk at this point in time? Can I make a decision about, you know, and it's not all or nothing. Is it all or is it limited or is it, you know, forcing some extra authentication or some extra validation or I don't quite trust you, so I'm going to give you limited access to the resource? And that, I think that's what we need to remember is it, it shouldn't be zero or one for zero for the zero trust concept. It's, it's that whole risk-based access and no implied. That's why I think it goes back to the no implied inherited straight away access. That to me is it's the zero Zero trust is not zero trust. It's zero implied trust, in a way. Right. And I think you're, you're on something big, which is, number one, you're kind of talking about a point, which is that it's never about the technology in the first place. The technology is only one piece of the whole puzzle, right? It's how you think about the culture, the implementation of it, you know, all the use cases, making it fit in an ecosystem. And, and I love this idea that it's not zero or one. And, and you know, I, I, I always think about, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars saying that only the Sith <laughs> think in absolutes. The Jedi are the ones you have to think in terms of what happens in between and the shades of gray and the nuance. And I think you're, you're spot on that in the real world, you know, that, that you have this perfect plan, but then you hit the real world and no plan survives contact with the enemy or the real world. And, and that's really right. where... And you know, call our users the enemy though. <laughs> <laughs> the users are actually not the enemy. We are the, our own worst enemy when we project well, we produce something that is beautiful in our head, but it doesn't work in practice. Talk to me about that. How, how does this get into practice? Where, where, where does, okay, it, actually, how, how does it take get a step started? Back. Why do we keep doing this? <laughs> well, I mean, this is not a new concept. And I think, you know, this is not, to, back to that part, you know, plans are great until first contact. You know, that first shot gets fired, all hell goes out of the window. And we've continued to do that and we continue to go chase the technology you know back to the stuff we've said it's like why do we not think about the human why do we not put the process and procedures zero trust to be great if we could actually know where the hell all the data was inside an environment let alone what everything i mean there's there's so many things that we continually trip ourselves up on that we should have learned those lessons in bygone years but we really don't seem to have learned them but wait, wait, i think our work in practice is looking at say very highly confidential data and saying I'm not necessarily going to try to do everything, but to try and access this data, it doesn't matter whether that's on-premise, cloud, whatever. When I when someone tries to access it, right, look at look at the risk of that connection, and both from the identity, from the device, from the level of information they're trying to get to, even from the location, and you know, and that's where things like machine learning and looking at some of the more nuanced figures rather than just like your, you say you're in Bali, but you're probably on a VPN or something like that, doing some more analysis around it in order to be able to, to make a decision and then having a gradient scale and saying, you know, this is highly confidential data. I'd rather err on the side of caution. This is somebody's, you know, kid's football team schedule. 
it, it's not classified. I could err on the side of being a little bit more open. So if you start with the, the data and what people are trying to access rather than trying to do, it's the same problem people had with information protection, DLP. It's mm. trying to do all or nothing rather than going, you know what, yeah, it's, it's really, really hard to classify all your data, but it's much easier to classify the mergers and acquisition data. That's but then on, on Chris point, I think here, you hit that point, Sean, and uh, how are, are we not tripping again in the, the same problem? Because I was thinking about it literally just today that the, the resource distribution is, is, especially in the cloud, is becoming so massive and it's such a complicated model to control the access control. And we tr keep on trying to push this to the data owner over and over and over. And I see where process actually make that happen. But most of the time we forget about access. I forgot that I given access to somebody on, on a specific shared folder. It was linked to a specific identity, but you forget things. And you, I think right now we're in the, on the era that we have so many resources and so many distributed access control that we need something to centralize that access control and to enforce and apply that process before we can actually well, monitor, enforce, and apply that process and then convince people that that's the right thing to do. What do you guys think? Well, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I think to some degree, though, if you go back to the earlier point, that if, if the real goal is to get to this sort of, you know, zero implied trust, then access control is just one piece of that puzzle, right? And it, it's a piece mm. you, have to, you have to address. Um, I, I don't think we'll ever get there perfectly. I think there's, there's a risk-based component to it, in my mind, um, that we have, to, we have to always account for, right? Like, for example, you know, when, when somebody authenticates there are different attributes they can provide to authenticate. They can provide a password, they can provide a, a token, a biometric, and, and so on. Each of those, as we all know, has some work around it and, and they're not foolproof. But to a degree, we say, okay, we, we accept that given if you have this threshold, we're willing to take the risk and let you through. And maybe you combine that with what they're trying to access. If it's not a critical asset and they provide the right level of, of, of identity assurance, if you will, we're, we're willing to let them go through. But you're right, that's one piece of the puzzle. And I think the real challenge is that, you know, we use the word zero and trust and so on there's really kind of a risk element to, to all of this. And, and risk mm -hmm. is such a misunderstood term in our industry that uh, and, and probably why nobody's latched on, why we don't say zero risk or, you know, the, I think it's, it's, it's a challenge. I, I think you said at the beginning something really important, which is that, you know, part of why this has caught on is that it gives this perception of an easy button, not just for the practitioner, but an easy button to explain to the board of directors what the strategy looks like. And, and we can't discount that. That's why these things become popular. And if we don't account for that, then we repeat the same mistake over and over again. Isn't that the problem? We're always looking for the easy button as an industry. And then, and then blaming yeah. vendors when they, you buy the easy button, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I was going to say, when I see a customer is consistently blaming vendors, uh, and some of them it's quite right, but some of them I'm going, you're looking for that silver bullet and then blaming the vendor when it, it doesn't exist. And actually, sometimes it is the vendors overselling, but actually, sometimes it's like you've got the people giving you the more complicated story and then you go and look for the simple story so you know when you talk zero trust there's very there's a lot of organizations that talk about that in a very complex nuanced way and there's ones that just say buy my product it'll work and if oh. if you don't do any further analysis and just do the buy my product it'll work uh, then uh, so we'll then they the same as you did with NAC and you did with GDP, people that said that their product would make you GDPR compliant, which no product can do. I saw all those compliant. sort of things over, over time. It's sort of like anytime someone says, my product will do this for you, it's like my product can help you or enable you, but if you're there actually you getting your product to do it, then you've missed out the process, the people, the whole actually is it the right thing for you analysis. The, the challenge with that sell. one. 
Yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, think about it. There's five of us on this call at the moment and having a conversation. If all five of us, let's say, ran an antivirus company. So, you know, we start off having the conversation. Sean goes, hey, you know, my AV is really good at protecting you. I'm like, hmm, I have to one-up Sean. Uh, my AV will protect you. And then all of a sudden, Francisco goes, well, actually, my AV is not just going to protect you in the office. It'll protect you when you're mobile. Um, it's very so easy. Base, exactly. So everybody goes, shit, uh, you know what? My AV will protect you 24 by 7. And then Sean, I mean, you're going to be like, oh, I got you covered 24 by 7, 365, and we'll protect you in the future. Because we're all trying to sell to the same client. We're over, we've all got the same freaking basic product, and maybe it's got a mm -hmm. couple of accesses. But because we are being led by marketing and because we're not collaborating, I mean, if the five of us with our AB company came together and said, hey, let's put our brains together and give one thing to the consumer that shit actually works, we'd fix the problem, I would argue. But because we're all competing against each other, we're led by the marketing teams who are like, well, hang on, we've got to be better. I've got to be better than, than Sean's. I've got to be better than Francisco's. I need to bury everybody else. And I'm going to do that because I'm unhackable. <laughs> I like that idea. I like that idea. But we had a lot of organizations that were created for that specific reason, IC Square, uh, the Cloud Security Alliance, to bring effectively the vendors together and to keep them honest and to say, you know what, let's do something vendor neutral for the neutrality of things. And unfortunately, we have to reckon that a lot of vendor organizations need to sell and they are going to be driven by sales and marketing. So we need to reckon. So maybe we need a demystifying cheat sheet. <laughs> but there's some sophistication for the consumer side. I mean, I don't, I don't watch a Nike advert and suddenly think I'm going to be able to climb a mountain because I know I can't climb a mountain. So why does, you know, someone says that this product will do it for you? Because well, we make it I, easy. You know, from a vendor point of view, engaging with someone who's going to challenge you around the claims that your product makes and whether it works, you know, can be sometimes quite annoying when they're pedantic, but actually that's what they should be doing. You know, well, chemistry, actually, this is my requirement. Where the problem is defining what the requirements are, because, mm. the re that, because that's where... We, and that's where the definition of zero trust is important because if you've designed, defined it in a certain re set of requirements, to, to Chris's point, if, if you've defined it, I need an AV that works on mobile on this specific world, then that's the one that you win. And, and, and so it's actually looking at what is it that you're actually looking for and what does zero trust mean to your organization? Yeah, and how are you going to implement it? And what and that's not just what do you want to do, but what are you capable of an organization of running? Because some of that, if you're not got a sophisticated risk management understanding granular way of doing access or you're not maybe you know in the sort of cloud ready world you may not be in a position where you actually have the the cap or you're running a lot of legacy systems if you're running a lot of legacy you know I've, I've had this customers wanting to do you know zero trust with windows xp like if you're running windows xp you are not going to be running a zero trust model let me be honest there you've got a lot of implied trust in there segment that off if you want to do zero trust yeah don't have zero trust and that sort of thing in a, a mixed environment. And that's the sort of thing of what is right for you in your environment. Yeah. And it might be, you know, limiting access. I don't know. I don't know why as an industry, we always try, I think that's a software industry that we always try to do something that is cutting corners and something that is easy. Maybe it's wide in the brain, but if, if you look at engineering, engineering is hard and there are times for engineering and, you can't get around it. There are specific times where you need to spend time to build a bridge and you can't cut corner, otherwise the bridge collapse. Why can't we do that in software development or in, in IT in general? 
it seems that we get the free pass. Think about it. That bridge collapses, people die. People die equals lawsuits. Hmm. Here's the challenge we have in software. Until this point, until like the last couple of years where it's starting to get there, I sell you software and it fails. <laughs> Tough shit. I'll sell you a better version next year. I sell you hmm. antivirus and you get your ass handed to you. You're not coming back on me because you signed that SLA that, or you signed that user agreement that said, you know, all yours. I sell you a firewall and you get breached. You've got no comeback on me. When was the last time that a consumer that got breached basically sued Cisco because the firewall didn't do its job as it's advertised? Shit doesn't happen. Whereas if that bridge collapses, people die. Now, fast forward to where we are, and this is some interesting stuff. You go to where we are now, we are at a point where we're putting so much medical healthcare stuff in place. When we screw up, people do die. But we still have nobody, no consumer or no organization has gone back and has sued Microsoft because their software's crap, or has sued Cisco because their stuff, or has sued Palo Alto because their stuff doesn't do it, has sued CloudStrike because their stuff doesn't do what it needs to do. Nobody's gone and actually sued them because we all signed the agreement that says we accept all the crap that comes with it. Hmm. Well, there's the other side of it, of if you build that bridge, it's designed to last for 50 years, but you know if you've got Windows XP, that was invented before the iPhone came out. It's not designed to last for 20 years. And right, so using it on a medical device in an isolated environment is one thing. Using it to check your email and browse the web, both of which were not really necessarily that ubiquitous, you know, that all to do with sort of really modern connectivity. You're now putting a different risk profile in than that was designed for, and particularly if you're getting into the people that are running, you know, NT3.51 and NT4 still, or, or Red Hat. Linux 5 or whatever it might be, the yeah. challenge is you're using something that was designed from a different era that's not dealt with. A bridge is a bridge, and let's be honest, you've got bridges that the Romans built that are still around that are 2,000 years old because the maths of crossing a, a span across two places, making sure that you've got the right you know, construction and tensile strength. You know, There have been, unfortunately, issues that went wrong, obviously, in, in Italy with maintenance, but as long as you've got that right map, it's, it's, a, it's a definable issue. So there is the point of software, but there's also the point that we're not sitting still because the, the engineering we're and moving. the construction and the rules of building a bridge, right? The, the specifics and the how we do it might have changed and have got advanced, but you're still pretty much the same maths of what you need to span a river or build a bridge now as it was two and a half thousand years ago. Whereas using, that's not using the that same example. technology. Using that example, I mean, the bridge was designed for a certain purpose, certain load, and presumably you don't put something on it that's going to knock it down. They built the Millennium Bridge and they didn't think that, and they built it fields cross and they hadn't worked out the fact that people tend to naturally fall in step as they cross the bridge. So when they opened Resonance. this pedestrian bridge, it got this uh, tensile, what's it called? It got there. Everyone got in. The harmonic oscillation. It's like yeah. a swing. So they had to shut it down and rebuild it because they hadn't predicted that. Now that's, probably a real world example that we've got plenty of digital examples of that happening. If you designed <laughs> it with one thing in mind. Well, there's the, 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 love, the love bridge in, in Paris, right? With all the locks, I'm sure many cities have it as well. Yeah. That weren't designed to hold that amount of weight. And that's not sure. misusing it from a traffic perspective or what it was supposed to do. But yeah, so I'm sure there are a gazillion digital examples. I'm wondering, are we, when we're talking zero trust here, is it zero trust for the industry and for the vendors 
<laughs> no, I, I think, you know, Sean, there, there's a big, bigger point here, which, which is, and I think we've all alluded to it, which is that I think the challenge we have in our industry is that we operate in the lemons market, right? If you think about it for a moment, so in the used car market, it, it's, it's a classic lemons market where the, the average person who's buying a car can't tell the difference between a good used car and a bad used car, right? They don't know if it's going to drive off the lot and collapse in a week or, or whether it's going to be a you know, great buy for them. And so as a result, we kind of fall to the common denominator and assume everything is bad. And we only pay prices according to assuming everything is bad. Uh, in the security market, it's very similar. The average person doesn't have the, the bandwidth to determine whether a security product is good or bad. Antivirus software, you know, I, I, I could run it against one sample set and it looks great. And against a different sample set, it performs horribly. But most people don't have the bandwidth to say, I'm going to try all the right samples and do the analysis and set up the right lab environment and really try behavioral analytics and so on. So what they have to kind of fall back on is, okay, well, what does the vendor's PowerPoint slide look like? As we all know, I, I can make my PowerPoint slide look better than yours. I can add a feature, add something, and then there's no way to verify that. And I think is that's it, is it about that or is it about the relationship? Going, going back to the trust. Well, I think, I think understanding. I mean, I, you're right. Like, I mean, we're seeing this over and over again in kind of post-COVID, right? We're, we're like at RSA, a lot of our customers, you know, who came to us, you know, it, it was, we have a relationship with them. It made it easy. So like, they say, can you help us out? It's Friday. Can you get us enabled to to get a remote workforce running by Monday. Uh, and, and that's what they were. They were back to basics, but that relationship is what really stood the test of time. And we've lost that in, in, in a world where there's so many new startups and funding and you know, VCs and marketing dollars that it, it's become transactional. And I think we have to go back to that basics and, and build those relationships with, between customers and vendors and, and, and have accountability in both directions to some degree. I like, I like the idea that Amazon was having about the day one mentality that a lot of organizations that I had the chance to work with or in kind of forget the more they grow the customer obsession. It can go really bad sometimes, but back to Sulehi's point, it's going back to the basic, going back to rebuilding their trust with the customer and effectively uh, on, on what Chris was saying, like trying, trying and, and learning and trying and learning and, and getting that feedback loop in that's maybe something that we should try to do more and I think, so we're just you know, pushing a product. Yeah. I think that's the big, thing. again, it's back to the human aspect. It's it, again, we you take a different algorithm that we are a different, um, different set of words we've used in this industry, people, process, and technology. We really did skip over the people. We're like, ah, mm. te- te- we can ignore. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I've stood up on stage and said, look, I'm done with users. We will wrap a technology shell around them to protect them from themselves. Well, the problem is that doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. So it's like, okay, I can't take users out of the equation. I need, how do I educate them effectively? How do I put processes around them so that when they do step out of those boundaries, there's something from a process and then a technology solution that helps it. We haven't approached it that way. We typically come at it from a tech level and go, what technology solution can I put in place to solve this problem? And we're, again, we're the human aspect of it. It's like, okay, I'd rather sit down you know, I'm on the fence. I'll be honest. There's one half of me that wants to fix the humans. There's the other half of me with the, you know, the machine that I've got running behind me that's doing the EEG stuff that just wants to take humans out of the ready equation because there's 7 billion other buggers on the planet. And at best, we're likely to be able to educate maybe 10% of them. And it's like, okay, how do I, how do I put a zero trust model in place for basically six and a half billion people and manage it effectively? And the answer is I don't. So screw it, let the machines take over. I think the reality is as well that when we design it from a technology perspective, 
we design it from people that are technologists that understand technology and yes. you know, so much the security awareness is asking people to do things that aren't natural or, or even yeah. the security tooling we put out there creates friction in a way I can, I can almost directly draw a parallel between those customers I've got that have completely locked down their customer's desktop, uninstalled old software, stopping them being able to do anything on their users and the shadow IT that's in use in that organization. I have, I have customers where they go, oh, we don't want to go to cloud or do any of this modern working because I've got this build and I've got really sure that it's strong. I know it works and it takes 14 minutes to boot up. And so their, their mobile workforce, when they're going out and doing advice, maybe with customers or talking with people, take their own laptop, spend the whole day in a spreadsheet, writing all the information down, get home, boot up the corporate laptop and then pretend they're in the meetings and populate the tool because they've designed something that actually doesn't, that gets in the way of people trying to do their job. Because if you've got an hour's appointment with somebody, whether you're doing them a quote for Windows or, you know, a financial advisor quote or, or something like that, and you've got an hour and it takes 14 minutes to boot your laptop up, you aren't going to be doing that because it's actively getting in the way of your job. And I, and there's so many examples I could see that. And then people go, oh, we want to go modern working. This is going beyond zero trust now. We want to do the whole modern digital workplace, blah, blah, blah. But I want to install my 17 security agents on that device. Uh, and so you want them to go evergreen. But unfortunately, I've got to make sure those 17 security agents are up to date before I can update my operating system. And then isn't it awful that the operating system's not up to date? And I can't roll out these patches because these patches conflict with my various different security agents. But I need those security agents to get... Of you. I'm, not, I'm not being against the security agents, I'm being against the 17 of them that don't necessarily all operate to each other, then you can't just, and, and, and that's one of the things where, you know, people talk about, and it's, 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 it's an adjunct to zero trust, it's not really there, but the idea of, of evergreen and keeping things always up to date, that's something that a lot of the security tooling doesn't fit into, and actually then people go, well, I can't do rolling out, oh, I want to be able to roll out my patches everywhere day one, you know, we in Azure roll things out, like, 48 hours to get the whole of Azure that we control up to date. And then we've got customers that are like six months later because they haven't updated some security agent or oh, I've gone to cloud, so I'm going to do patching, but I'm going to have a patch management server and I'm going to roll out either patches rather than think about the fact that, you know, with software infrastructure as a code, I can actually code building and make, be agile in security. And it, like, so I'm now gone off my, my building into users, but that's almost the developer side of it. You know, don't, is that, I, I always say this, and I have lots of people say this, users are like rivers, they find the easiest way down the hill, and too often we make ourselves too hard. And so that we were, were actually getting people to work around it, and the same thing will apply to zero trust. It's amazing how creative somebody can get when they just want to do their job and you make it really hard for them to do it. So that's why, yes, try and get technology to help, but make that, it's almost the, uh, the sort of Steve Jobs model, isn't it? Make the security technology invisible so to people so mm. they're just doing the job. But keep it visible in like in a car when you need to remind them to actually do their seatbelt up and think about safety. And that's where awareness should be is make them aware when there's something they need to stop and think, but be seamless and use technology to fix them when it's something that you can I've got to get off the soapbox now. I could go on for ages. No, I like, I like that <laughs> idea. I think, I think it leads also the one that I use is think like a kid. So try to try to think about the simplest things possible, and that's the way people will interact with technology and will use it in the simplistic way. Or if you think in that way, you can find new ways to, to go around it. Or maybe it should be an eighty-five-year-old 
rather than a kid because a kid might have watched. <laughs> well, other 25-year-old kid. So I, I want to touch on this quickly because uh, we're we only have a few minutes left. But um, the, this idea, because we we've talked and rightfully so a lot about the human, but Chris mentioned the machine, and we're now asking machines and software to do stuff on our behalf without our involvement. So machine to machine type stuff, and guess who programs those? Right, humans. So in there are things that limit its ability or or doesn't and and we're how does zero trust play into that when we're looking at industrial control systems and smart cities and smart buildings and other things that are very software and device driven that are orchestrated by humans but maybe not directly controlled minute by minute by humans. I keep thinking back to this this famous paper written by Ken Thompson, who was a Turing Award winner in 1984, he gave a lecture called Reflections on Trusting Trust. And, and those of us who have been around, we've, we've seen this paper many times over. And it starts off by saying, look, can I, can I trust a system? Well, now I've got to look at you know, the source code on that system. Maybe I can trust the source code, but what about the compiler that compiled that source code? How do I know it's going to get compiled to something that's legitimate? And he showed that you, know, you can embed all sorts of nastiness inside of a compiler and you could embed that same nastiness in the decompiler. So it's, it's almost impossible to detect that something has gone awry. And it's basically turtles all the way down. So I, I think we never get to that true zero state. We have to accept that there's going to be some gap, some, some lack of implied trust. And the real goal becomes, how do I sort of minimize that, that trust surface and then compensate for that with, with the right controls around verification and understanding and, and do that in a way that overall kind of limits my risk in, in, in a meaningful way. And that, that's, I think, our only path forward. Now, that's too complicated to put down in a single epithet, which I think is a challenge. Uh, and, and I don't know how to solve that overnight, but it, it is, I think, one of the challenges for our industry. I'll give you two nights. Two nights, right. Splendid. <laughs> we can make this work. I'll present a solution. Right? We'll we, call it uh, purple trust, and we're all set. I think there's so there's a couple of things on this one which which are going to make it really really interesting and I'm uh, I'm fortunate I'm actually hanging out with a team where we're we're building a framework on how to actually look at the intelligence and an actual artificial intelligence machine learning and robotics properly um, and there's some stuff that's come out of uh, one of the one of the learning centers out of Europe which is actually fantastic. And we talk about doing some stuff on the ISO uh, 25010 uh, set of controls, where you start taking a look at intelligent behavior, morality, and personality. So you start breaking each one of those three areas down. Because, I mean, the, the ISO uh, well, 25010, whichever way you want to use it, actually has a lot of stuff to do with coding, programming, usability, reliability, and also security and everything else in there. But when you start adding into an intelligent-based system, you have to extend that even further. And it's something that we're working on doing and then measuring it effectively. One of the biggest challenges, and it goes with this thing that I'm building back here, is all the biases. So back to that conversation about, okay, let's look at the code, not just look at the code, the compiler, the decompiler, look at the fingers and hands that were on the keyboard and look at the biases of those fingers and hands that were on the keyboard, the implicit biases, and then the data model, the data training model, the refresh models, um, look at its capability and ability to learn, look at the transparency that that architecture you have built of its choices. So when we talk about Amazon and how it's learning how to give you a selection of, hey, you bought this, what about these alternatives? 
And it's amazing to look at the biases of those based off of both its information and also potentially my biases over what I've searched for in the past. We see this with news stories. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you get two people right next to each other that have used their computers. They both Google maybe something that's very, very controversial at the moment, which is obviously you look at the Black Lives Matter stuff, you look at inclusion in our industry, and you will get two different sets of results based off of biases, profiling, and all sorts of other things. So we have a long, long way to go and a lot of measuring and a lot of work that we have to do before we get to a point where there's a level of comfort. That the, the ISO stuff's nice. It has a ton of capability that we should be able to build in and measure. And, you know, I carry the torch for the Calypso guys, but we're doing a lot to try to address some of this stuff. I agree. It's absolutely essential. Yeah, this, this, it's an ethical framework. You've got it's almost like, why do you need trust? Because there's a gap in understanding. So this is where people talk about transparency to build trust. What transparency actually does is reduce that gap in understanding. The more that you can see what's going on. So you don't, it's, it's something that Rachel Botsman talks about this a lot, about leaps of trust. And if, if you make that smaller, you make it easier. And, and I think it's going forward in terms of software engineering, the people that develop the systems that develop the systems, diversity and inclusion stops being a nice to have and has to be a must have. So you've obviously got managing the bias in the data and trying to work out how to filter that, but also, as you say, trying to take to broaden out or make us aware of the implicit biases we've got. But you're never gonna you're never gonna have zero implicit bias uh, because any no matter how much unconscious bias training you do, there's always going to be that that one that you have that you didn't know because it didn't get surfaced up. Um, so it, it's that case of the more you can have diversity, or and that's not just gender i think it's diversity of background diversity of thinking diversity of approach diversity of experience um that that becomes a, a must have not a night to have a nice to have but then it's how do you do that and then get the people with the right expertise to actually do the coding and that's that's where it's 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 a it's a it's a very interesting point that we really have to work on i know it's very close to our heart and microsoft is like we need an we have an ethical framework for ai and machine learning that we stick by and that we we approach on and then you know we support things like these the international standards and, and the looking at how to do that and the international bodies because you can't rely much as we've got a really good mature ethical framework you shouldn't rely on us to decide it we, it should be something that's done not just by the big technology companies but by industry by regulators by government by by ethicists you know you there's Medical ethics has a long history of having, you know, philosophers and ethicists coming in and talking about the thorny problems. Yeah, we possibly do need machine learning ethicists going forward. And, and they're not actually doing the work, just as medical ethicists aren't doing the work, they aren't making the decision. They're talking about the frameworks and the approaches and the things that people need to do and creating that structure in which you work. So if you think about a medical ethicist, they, they create the structure in which a doctor might make a decision about a particular bit of work. And a lot of that, and I think from what I've heard in, in the machine learning in, in medicine, the medical ethicists are very involved in that. That's, it's almost like, do we need that for, for machine learning and AI now? And another, another profession in terms of, you know, a cybersecurity or, or even a, a technology ethicist. But I like your idea and I like your approach, but on that point, I think, uh the risk of having or being completely abstract is really, really easy, especially on, on complex, uh, uh, well, complex topic about diversity and machine learning of not being a practitioner 
So I like the idea of uh, like bodies from different part of tech coming together and then debating because then you have different view and it almost become unbiased because you have everybody around the room that comes from a different angle and different perspective. So it, it almost unbiased. And then maybe you have somebody that chairs or lead a discussion to then have that maybe neutrality or, or, or other neutrality. But I really like the bodies like the CSA that are effectively abstract from all the industry, but are made by industry professionals. So that is very, very applicable. Otherwise, you come up with things that are inapplicable, like zero trust. <laughs> good, good, good <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> good full circle. No, it's good, it's good that, we're, that we're talking about it. Hopefully, there are many others. Um, I mean, as, as you were describing that, Chris, I was like, Jesus, that's a, that's a tough, tough problem. That's to a cool solve. topic. It's, yeah. a, it's a, I mean, that's a, that's an entire topic on its own. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So as we wrap here, um, to kind of bring us back to earth and, uh, in the spirit of redefining security and on the topic of zero trust, maybe just a, a quick sentence or two from each of you, uh, a message for a, a practitioner, uh, manager, a CISO, uh, some advice on how to approach zero trust uh, to either do something, avoid it, make it actionable, <laughs> protect yourself from it, whatever, whatever it is that you, that you think they should hear. Let me uh, take this. It's, okay, go for let, it. Francisco. Let me take it into a very simple way. Strip the concept to the core and just apply it. Even just use a connected to VPN with <clears throat> a basic authentication system and monitoring of basic user activity. That's zero trust. You don't need a fancy device. You don't need fancy technology. And as Chris was saying, just go back to the people. Go back. Don't skip the people. People and process are really important, especially on this concept. The zero trust is a concept. It's it's a thing. I'd also. I mean, I I can't say it any simpler than Francisco said. And that's perfect. My, to my thing, I would also say, ask another question. You know, when when the vendor or the supply comes in and says, "We have it. We do it." is ask enough questions so you're comfortable about what it actually means, how it actually means, how it's going to affect you. Because, I mean, we don't understand where all of our data is for the most part. We sure as hell don't understand our user population very effectively. So if we're trying to overlay more technology, we should much more effectively understand. And I think that will also sort out the vendor issue as well. So ask more questions. If you can't work out what it means to you, don't use the term. Yeah, I like zero that. trust to apply to the way you always did things. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you said it perfectly. It's focus on the problem you want to solve, right? Don't get caught up in the nomenclature. Take a step back and say, what am I doing this for? Why am I implementing all these controls? What is my ultimate objective? Uh, and then take a step back. And if a vendor says they're doing zero trust, don't assume they're going to help you reduce your trust surface. And likewise, if a vendor doesn't say zero trust anywhere on their website, don't assume that they are irrelevant in helping you solve your problem. If you take a step back and think about the problem you're trying to solve, what you'll find is that there have been technologies invented for decades in the security community. Many of the things invented 20, 30 years ago are still useful today, uh, but they've got to be used correctly. And I think dialogues like this one are what enable us to think about and separate that noise and allow the rest of the community to understand the signal and focus on what's really important. Yeah, excellent points. And and my, my takeaway from this is kind of to your point, Zuli, is what problem are you trying to solve? And that will be a combination of, I hate to say, but people process technology, right? And you can't just start with the tech and hope that the others fall in line. So 
Well, listen, uh, you've all maintained your trust with me. I, I still trust you all, so uh, I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate what that. What happened to zero? <laughs> exactly. It, it's, it's the same mark. We're not to zero yet. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I thank you all for, uh, for having this conversation with me. And uh, as you know, I appreciate each and every one of you, and you're always welcome here. Uh, Sean, Zuli, Francesco, Chris, have a great one. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Cheers, guys. It was amazing. It's a wrap. Thanks, man. Nice to meet you. Right on. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. Thank you for listening. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.